So that's what we're talking about this morning. I'm, I'm tying baptism in with gratitude, so it, you're going to see the first part be about that. The transition will go into there, okay? So talk in the talk. Ephesians chapter, one, or chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Okay, I thought that was appropriate for today since we are doing baptisms. And anytime you see a therefore in scripture, what do you do? You look to see what it's there for, right? And in the, in the, especially when you have one in the New Living Translation, they don't stick them in there as often as they do in the NIV. NIV, you want to find a therefore, you turn every other page, you can find a therefore. And Paul's writings really, it's um, a lot of times... The NLT will say, so then, okay? That's another therefore. It's just a transitional statement. You're looking for those transitional statements. This is one of those transitional statements. Why did he stick a transition in chapter 4, verse 1? Because he's going from a theological mindset to an application mindset. He's going from head knowledge to um, hands and feet knowledge, okay? So he's taking from, once you get this concept that, you kind of stink, God's kind of awesome, and God's really awesome, and Jesus is the transition between this two. Now that you have that blessing, this is how you should live. Okay, That's what Ephesians is all about. It tell, he builds up this theology that we can get behind, and then he walks it into application. Chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6 are all application. Okay, And so you'll see a lot of commands in those statements and he will just say, do this, do this, do this. Well, why can he give you all these commands? Because he set up why in chapters 1, 2, and 3. If God is this way, if God is this way, and we are this way, then we should live like this. Okay? Make sense? It's an if-then statement. Except it's three chapters of if, and then it's three chapters of then. Okay? So to what have we been called? Let me explain our calling a little bit just as Paul does in Romans. If you ever read Romans, you read the first, um, first five chapters. First, the first chapter, mankind, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Chapter two, we've all really fallen short of the glory of God. Chapter three, we've really fallen short. He even says it specifically, 323. You, all of sin fallen short of the glory of God. We can't get to heaven on our own. We can't do it, right? So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is what we're going to do. We are going to seek somebody, something or someone that can get us. Who is the intercessor between God and man? It's Jesus Christ, right? And so they offer that in Romans chapter 5. And so this is what it's all about. We need to establish our depravity of our old self. Life without Jesus looks like this. It's, I'm not good enough to get to heaven. I'm not good enough because of this, because I've sinned, right? It's not because, oh, I'm, you know, I try to be a good person, but, you know. No, any sin disqualifies us for being the presence of a holy God. We don't understand holiness like God is. We, don't, we just don't understand it because we need to have the fear of God, like Moses does when he goes up onto the heaven, he's like, well, how can I even look at you? If I look at you, I'm going to die. Well, you can look at the reflection of my back. 
and then you might make it, right? Or you're going to be in the presence of me all the time, right? And apparently God needed him on the earth, so he let him live. But what happens to Moses when he comes down off that mountain? He's glowing, right? The guy is glowing because of God's Shekinah glory. Every time you have an angel that comes down from heaven that is in the presence of God, I assume they're glowing because God's Shekinah glory is radiating off of them, and it's like a wow moment, right? And that's one reason why people are so terrified. It's not that they're terrified about an angel or somebody shows up, even though that's sudden, right? It's the presence of holiness next to the depravity of sin. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, is what Isaiah said. I've had experiences like that. It's different. It scares the snot off out of you, as I would say. So we need to establish our depravity. Our old self falls short of the glory of God. Our old self, it lets us down. It lets others down. And it claws and scratches its way back up to the surface, doesn't it? I mean, we got to keep it in check all the time or it's going to consume us again and again and again. Woe is me. That's where Isaiah gets that, right? I, I try. I do. I really do. I try to pursue holiness. I can't. I'm not. What's going on? So I quickly discover, and I, I couldn't do this by myself, and I, couldn't, I didn't like this version of me. Like many others, I found myself searching for something to fill this emptiness, and I was looking for something different. Therefore, I named my youth group something different. Something different than what the world has to offer, something different than the running and going all the time, the busyness of the world. I was looking through, searching through the muck and the mire, to find the treasure that I knew was in Christ, but had been distorted by the world. You even see the gospel message today that gets distorted by the world, don't you? It's, it's sad, really. Some distortions include the prosperity gospel. God, if, if you do this, then I'll do this. We start... We start working deals, right? We start doing all this stuff. and Or, God, if you just give me this, then I'll do this. And God becomes our vending machine. And we say, God, if you do this, if you just heal this person, then I will follow you. And I've heard people come to Jesus that way. But once, that's okay, but you can't live in that, right? You can see that God is, has much more to offer and he wants a different allegiance than an if-then statement because God doesn't do that. He didn't do that for us. He didn't demand that out of us. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, well, now look what I've given up. Now it's your turn. I'm waiting. No, he doesn't do that. So another one is God's grace will cover all my sin. So why do I stop sinning? I can just keep sinning, 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 sinning. I can just go on because I've been saved, right? That's God's grace. He's a graceful God. He will do this for me. It's so amazing. It's my get out of jail free card. And I, but the problem with that, and when I sin and sin and sin, I soon become my own authority, don't I? I am not submitting to his authority who tells me to live a certain way, to obey his commandments. And the people, the attempt, 
it just breaks down, doesn't it? That authority breaks down, and soon I become my own authority, and I will never be good enough to get myself to heaven. And then the last one, this is a big one too. The mission of serving God is truly godly, right? The, it's quick. This has quickly became unattainable and frustrating because if I, if I just do the next thing, you know, I don't expect God to do his thing with the grace or the vending machine. I'll just do my thing and then I will reap what I've sown, right? In a sense, what's that turn into? I just turned it into good works. Ah, that's frustrating. Okay, so it's not those things. Those are all distortions of what the gospel message is. So what is it? It can't be under my own strength. And the answer is God's grace, folks. It is God's grace, but we got to define it and make it understandable. So once we understand that we cannot be our own saviors, okay, one, can't save myself, we have to look outside ourselves. And once we discover God's grace, his unmerited favor that he's willing to pour out on us, and he sets that example by allowing Christ to die for us on the cross, we have to understand all of what that entails. It's a two-step process, really, and we understand that we, have, we need God's grace, and we accept it. We are now justified before God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are saved. Our faith can begin to grow. And they, that's what the angels do, right? They celebrate. We celebrate that all the time. Matter of fact, for the last three weeks, I'm supposed to have a stinking white rose up here, and I haven't remembered. I remember right now, right? Um, because uh, Jason Icorn led one of his buddies or one of his coworkers at, at Menards to, to Christ, and that was so cool, and it's a great story, and I, want, um, I wanted to tell it, but um, I haven't seen the kid for a while yet, so... But he came and told me a few weeks after church, and just, just, it's just a really neat story. It's re- so praise God for that. So also, that's how we're saved. We're saved because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not because of our sacrifice, right? Jesus does it all. He is the perfection. We are imperfect. He allows us to walk in that perfection because he loves us. Wow. That's God's love. So when we continue to walk in God's grace... We desire to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do good works to honor that relationship, okay? So now that we're saved, God, Christ, wells up inside of me, and I have a desire to do good works. How do you know that? Well, you can read it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, verse 2. It says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God, Okay? And it's not an anxiety that was like, oh, I got to do this. Oh, my goodness. It's a, oh, I wonder if I could squeeze the gospel message in here in this conversation. I wonder if I can, uh, I wonder if I can pray for this guy. I wonder how he's going to respond to that. I don't really care. I'm going to pray for him anyway, but we're just going to see where this goes. And we have some good example setters of that here at White Rose. So by... And by the way, the, the good indi- this is also a good indication of salvation. If you want to um, please the Lord, if you want to share the gospel, if you want, that's a good indicator that the, wor- the Holy Spirit's welling up in you and that he actually resides in you, okay? 
So especially if you have the understanding that salvation is not something to be earned, but is something to be given by the Lord, which we learned about in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Right? Is by grace we have been saved, not by works, so that not one of us can boast to the other, I'm better than you. Right? Because what happens right when I do that? I've sinned, haven't I? We're all equal at the foot of the cross. So after we experience God's experience God's justification, what's that mean? That means that we can stand before a holy God. God the Father in his holiness, because Jesus died for our sins and has cleansed us from all unrighteousness, we can now stand before him because of the blood of Jesus. Okay, We can then take the step towards sanctification. You're like, there's another big word there. Yeah, we call that Christianese. It's a Christian language that only we understand, but I'm going to find those. Justification, I can stand before a holy God because I have Jesus' blood on me. I'm justified in front of my sins are washed away, so I'm justified to stand in heaven. Can he be here? Yep, he's got the ticket. He can get in, right? I got a mission, right? But we want to go farther than that. Which me, so I want to be sanctified. So I want to take off my old self, my sinful way. I want to take off the, the one that's craving the desires of my youth, right? What does the Bible always warn us against? Even, even in the New Testament, when they talk to the Gentiles, don't eat blood strangled, strangled in the meat, um, or it's not drained from the meat, and sexual immorality, right? Avoid sexual immorality, right? Those are, those are biggies. So let's avoid those two. Which means we take off our old self and we put on our new self in Christ Jesus. And I want to know more old self stuff. Well, read Ephesians chapter 4. You can read ahead, and it gives you a whole grocery list of all the old stuff we're supposed to take off, okay? And we can display this step in, guess what? Baptism. Uh, it always reminds me of, uh, oh, brother, we're out there. Baptism, you two are dumber than a bag of hammers, right? Because that's what the world thinks about baptism. You're following this ghost that you don't even see. You don't, you've never seen God before, yet they will blindly fi- follow evolution, which they have to have just as much faith in creation as we do, right? And you're like, no, they don't. Well, I can explain that one to you because nobody's seen it, right? Nobody knows about billions and billions of years. You have to have faith that that's how it started, and we have pretty good evidence in creation that we have a creator, okay? And we have a God that came and told us that he was God, rose from the dead as God, right? And if his Genesis story was wrong, don't you think he probably would have corrected it while he was here, right? He did not. They got that, the Pharisees got that part right. You can listen to them. Just don't do what they say. That's what he said. So we have seen this today. We have four who have made a profession of their faith to surrender to God's grace and accept his free gift and follow him wholeheartedly, and they want the world to know. Go team, right? That's exciting. That's so exciting. I'm, I'm elated, especially since one of them was my son, right? Uh, so... Now their hearts well up by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they want to go do the work of God's kingdom, and not their own kingdom. They progress 
towards holiness. And this process of progressing to be more like Jesus, that is sanctification, okay? So when you hear sanctification, you hear, I want to be more Christ-like, okay? That defines that. So friends, this is Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 in a nutshell, okay? We understand God's grace. We understand God's awesome. I stink. I need Jesus to save me from my stench, which brings up a book that I've heard, The Smell of Sin and the Something of God's Grace, The Aroma of God's Grace. It's a very, very good book. It's by University Press. Because if we're going to talk the talk, right, we better walk the walk. How many times you heard that? Growing up, I heard a lot. I haven't heard a lot lately. Maybe it's old. It's like the 80s coming back again to us. It's retro. Um, If you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. And as Christ followers, isn't that even so much more that we need to do that? So let's talk about walking the walk, okay? Now that we've learned how to talk to talk, we need to learn how to walk the walk. And I was listening to someone on Instagram talk about a biosphere in Arizona. And they're showing this little panoramic view of this glass thing, right? And that's out in the middle of the desert and things. And inside, it's this lush paradise of things. And what, you know what they found was the problem with this biosphere? That... As the trees would grow up in that biosphere, they would get so big, they would just fall over. They didn't have any adversity okay, to hold them, to give them strength. They didn't have any wind to, make their, to force their roots to go down deeper. They didn't have any currents to fight against in the stream. To, they just had plentiful water, and the roots went to where they needed They got their nutrients, they were comfortable, and the tree grew up so far, and after 15 or I don't know how many years, they just fell over, boom, right? So there were no gusts of winds, there was no currents. The trees, they were always in comfort, and their size outgrew its strength. And I think that's a lot like all of us. If God allows us to live in comfort... Then we all crash to the ground due to the lack of strength and growth in our faith in God. God allows adversity to draw us back to him when we are comfortable to keep us strong and then to set the examples for others to follow us. One of the best example setters I've ever had in this is a man named Jim Twidell. And when he had cancer that was uncurable. It was stage four by that time. They were hoping, and then it just went. The guy never complained. He always set an example of God's grace, and every time you ask Jim, hey, Jim, how you doing? Oh, better than I deserve? And I always thought that was ridiculous. I was like, what in the world? Better than you deserve? And he's like, well, think about it. And this is, shows my immaturity. And this is, I'm like, I'm like 20. And what do we deserve? Oh, we deserve this. We des- I was believing a prosperity gospel at the time. We deserve all that God is going to give to us. We deserve a good family. We deserve this, uh, a, a car and a, and a house and all these things. No, we don't, Shane. We deserve hell. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I'm like, you're right, and I'm way wrong. That was one of the things I had to correct 
in my view of Jesus. He is not there to be my vending machine. He is there to rescue me from destruction, from a, a pit of fire, right? Where the worm never dies, the fire never dies, never sleeps. I don't want to go there. So that's one of the reasons why I want to be justified in Christ. The other is because I want to live life like it's supposed to. Once I get on this side of sanctification, I can see how wonderful it is when I walk with the Lord. Even when I go through trials at times and the wind and the waves, they bash against me and I'm trying to keep my roots in the ground because the water's trying to wash it out from underneath me, I can hold firm to the rock of Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what it's all about. I've, hit, I've had adversity. I've had adverse times, not near as many as other people. And praise God for that. I try to learn from other people's mistakes. I learned that one real quick. I have an older brother. They're great teachers in that, right? So you learn from your older brother's mistakes. You don't have to repeat them. You just learn, got it. I'm not going to do that, right? And James puts it this way in James 1, verses 2 through 4. says, dear brothers and sisters... When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Okay, so when I'm going in trials, when I'm going through adversity, I should consider it great joy. Please, please explain yourself, James. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow and when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Wow. What a verse. Who is he writing that to? He's writing that to the persecuted church in Jerusalem. Who does James have to be? Happen to be? He happens to be Jesus' half-brother, who he, he did not believe in Jesus until Jesus rose from the dead. And then he's like, uh, yeah, you're probably who we say you are, right? And then he starts leading the church, right? He's, he's one of the very first martyrs in the church. And just an amazing story. Does he understand adversity? Absolutely, he understands adversity. Does he understand what it's building in him, the character and the tenacity to move forward? Absolutely, he understands that. Even at, in adversity, we can have a we can give praise to God, right? A life of thanksgiving. We can develop an attitude of gratitude and for what he has given us. And there's, there's about six great stories in the Bible on um, having an attitude of gratitude. I'm going to give you four today, and I'm just going to highlight them real quick. You may have to look for them yourself. So let me illustrate the four stories in the Bible where we are able to give gratitude in the midst of suffering. The first one I have is Daniel. Daniel, the guy that was in the lion's den, right? Okay, so this is actually that same story. Daniel in the lion's den, he gets a whole bunch of guys that come up to him and say, all right, uh, Daniel, you need to, to, to walk our walk and talk our talk. And he's kind of like, you know what? I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And so they are like, well, they're grumbling behind his back. They go to the king. They trick the king into saying, you know what? Let's just have everybody bow down and worship you this month, and only you. And anybody that doesn't, they will be thrown into the lion's den. He's like, you know what? That is a great idea. 
And he was really good friends with Daniel too. Did Daniel listen? No. Almost defiantly, uh, let's see, east, that way. He opens the windows to the east and he faces Jerusalem and he prays three times a day. He doesn't change his routine because somebody's trying to intimidate him not to serve his God. And what happens? He gets thrown in the lion's den. The lions do not eat him. And he comes out the next day and he's a testimony to the Lord. He's a testimony before he gets eaten, but he's a testimony even more so when he doesn't get eaten because the guys that get him thrown in, they don't even touch the ground before they're killed, right? That's what it says in the Bible. Wow. Daniel is faithful. He prayed three times a day, and he's done this to give thanks to God. It says that specifically. And he understood the blessings. He understood the consequences of following the Lord. And we need to do that too. As we see the blessings and the consequences of following the Lord, we still need to follow. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19, these are one of those things where Paul gives commands, right? He's established his theology at the beginning. Now he's giving his commands. It says, it says always be joyful. Oh, that's easy. No, it's not, right? Never stop praying. Got that one, check. Uh, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, pray. Sorry. No, I don't do that one. Be thankful in all circumstances. Oh, boy, you're stacking them up. For this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. And that's the key. If you do not stifle the Holy Spirit, if you act, allow him to come into your life and well up, it is much easier to be joyful. It's much easier to continue praying. It's much easier. Easier to go through circumstances with joy. Not happiness, joy. Okay? Joy comes from the Lord. Happiness comes from uh, emotional things. I think happiness can come from the Lord too. Not saying it can't, but it's more of an emotional thing where joy is a sustained thing from the Holy Spirit. Okay? The next one, Jonah. Jonah. Now, I know you're thinking, how in the world are you going to find Thanksgiving and joy from Jonah. Jonah is not, that is not his character. He does not, he is like the most downtrodden Eeyore in the whole Bible, right? Like if you want to look for Eeyore, it is Jonah. I'm telling you, he's like, well, probably be, you know, go to the Ninevites and tell them that they need to repent or die. And he is like, well, if I go there, you'll probably say yes and they'll all be saved. And that's exactly what happens. But he didn't want to go because he, they were his Israelites' enemies. They were killing them in unimaginable, wicked, wicked ways. And Jonah's like, they deserve what they're going to get. But who gives out justice? Do I justify anybody before God? No. God can handle it, right? So I'm going to give my revenge up and let him handle that, right? And so he goes in. And he, is, he runs the other way. He gets in this boat and tries to take off to the, as far away as he can get. God sends a storm. They say, why is this storm here? It's because of me. It can't be because of you. You're a holy man. And there they draw lots. Jonah comes up with a short stick. He says, throw me overboard. The storm will quit. And he's like, yeah, that'll, that'll trick you, God. I'll just kill myself. I'll drown out here. There's nothing you can do about it. What happens? The storm quits. Well, I can't drown, can't drown now. And then a big fish comes and swallows him, okay? 
Think about that. He's being digested by a fish for three days. And when he gets to the end, you can only imagine what the guy's eating, right? When he gets to the end, when he's about ready to be thrown up onto the shore by this giant fish, he's about ready to die. And then, only then, at the midst of death, does Jonah give thanks to God. It's Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. It says, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praises, and I will fulfill my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Folks, don't be Jonah. Jonah doesn't get any better after that anyway, just so you know. He still is waiting up for them to be smited, and it doesn't happen. But like Jonah, we need to offer gratitude to God in hard consequences that bring good repentance, right? We have to offer God praise, right? Number three, Paul. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar. He's on trial for his faith. He's gone through this several times, and this is the final one. He gets sent to Rome. He's on his last trip, and this, he says, you know what? We shouldn't go over winter. You guys know what it's like. And they're like, oh, we can make it. We can make it. We can make it. And he's like, you shouldn't go. We're going to lose. We're in danger of losing all the cargo, all the men, if you go. And they're like, oh, we can make it. And this violent storm comes up, and it just blows them off course like crazy and blows them all around. And we're talking not just like for a day or two. It was at least for two weeks that we know recorded, and we don't know what was um, before and after that. So this storm is just blowing them all around, and this is in Acts 27, like I said, and he cautions them in verse 10 that they will lose all their cargo, but if everybody stays on the ship, they'll be good to go. There's danger if they continue on. Of course, they don't listen, and... So they're in the midst of the storm. They're about ready to give up. Paul calls them all underneath, 187 people. He brings them underneath, and he says, I told you, you shouldn't do this. But I had a dream last night that if we all stay together, we stay together as a group, we can make it. Now take courage, eat some food, because you haven't ate for two weeks, and um, God's going to give us the strength to get out of this. He said, not a hair in your head will be harmed, right? And this is a testimony to God's faithfulness because the ship's going to go down, but you're going to be saved. And the soldiers try to get out and drop the, the lifeboat. They cut the lifeboat. They're, they're saved, or the sailors do. I think the sailors cut the, the lifeboats. Everybody makes it to this island and things. God granted safety to all the sailors and everyone aboard. This allowed... Paul to give God the credit, and it gave God credibility as they move forward. Because Paul gets bit by a snake in just like a day or two and says, well, you, you didn't survive that storm, but now you uh, are going to die from the snake. And what's Paul do? Sluffs it off into the fire, and nothing happens. Now they think he's a god. Oh, people, won't we ever learn, right? But I want to draw your attention to when Paul gives thanks to the Lord. Acts 27, 35 through 38 says this, when he took some bread, he gave thanks to God before them all and broke a piece and ate it. And then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All, and I got my numbers wrong, 276 of us 
were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship by, further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When does Paul give thanks? In the midst of the storm, while the storm is happening, he gives it publicly so everybody knows who he's going to give credit to. If they die, who gets credit for that? God. But he has confidence that God is going to rescue them. God's going to save them because he just told me last night that's why it's going to happen. God is going to save us. That's exactly what happens in the story. Acts 27, you should read it. So my friends, what is your storm? What is your conflict? What is your disease that you're struggling with or one of your relatives are struggling with? What's Maybe the loss of, your, of a loved one. What's your debt? What's your sin? What do we need to declare in the midst of the storm to give to the Lord? The last one. I'll close with this. David. David's running from King Saul in the desert, and he's alone and on his last leg. And we see this story written in um, the, the trials and the, written in Psalm 69. 69 verse 4 says, Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs of my head. Many enemies tried to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. So he's under false accusation, at least for a theft, that we find out from this psalm. And then in, in verse 29, he also cries out, I am suffering and in pain. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. David is asking to be rescued, not because he's got a hangnail. Oh, I feel so bad. I, I got a hangnail. God save me. No, doesn't need a band-aid. He feels like he's a dead man. That's what he's, he's saying in verse 4. Um, because a dead man can't praise you, God. I believe David is on his last leg. And in the sense that the last step is the grave. And yet David chooses to praise God. He chooses to look forward to the time when he can... Give God the praise, because next he says in 69, verse 30 through 34, says, Then I will praise God, God's name with singing, and I will honor him with thanksgiving, for this will please the Lord more than sacrificing cattle, more than presenting a bull with its horns and hooves. The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all who, who seek God's help be encouraged, for the Lord hears the cry of the needy. He does not despise his imprisoned People, praise him, O heaven and earth, the sea and all that move in them. Like David, we need to offer gratitude to God before he supplies the rescue, which we know he does right after that. So what do you do when it comes down to it? What do you do with that guy, that poser, the guy with the big mouth, guy that's got the skill, no skill to back it up. Like I was with my prosperity gospel when Jim Twidell tells me, oh, I'm doing better than I deserve. A guy's got stage four cancer and is dying. Oh, I'm doing better than I deserve. I'm like, wow, that, that preached to me. Wow. So what do I do with that guy? I took him down off the shelf and I put him on the end of the bench 
and he became a bench warmer because he doesn't belong in the game because he's, he's got the jersey, but he can't play, right? He can learn. He can learn some humility. He can learn that life doesn't revolve around him, and, but he ain't getting any practice. He can learn and practice. He ain't getting any playing time in the game, right? And we take time to develop our character. God will put us in the game, right? God will put us in the game. And when we, when we do not take time to develop a character, God's going to leave us on the bench. Christian, my neighborhood, your neighborhood, it doesn't need posers. Doesn't need bench warmers and needs people that are willing to get in the game. And if we're going to get in the game, we got to get in God's word. And if we're going to get in God's word, we got to pray to Him. And when we pray to Him, big things happen. Right? Four baptisms today. Something to praise God about. White rose that we haven't had in a while. Praise God about, right? That's, that's what it's all about. White rose, new life in Christ, fellowship, coming together. Had a comment today. It's amazing how long you guys are out there greeting one another. Our church could learn something from that, right? That's something that's important to us. Fellowship, that's, when else are we in a fellowship, right? You guys run out of here after church? No, I'm just kidding, you don't. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But our community, we need authentic, Christ-following, sanctified individuals People who are willing to forgive, people who are willing to serve, people who put others before themselves. Our community needs Christians with character who are in the game and not on the bench. Who is God calling you to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships? Get in the game, because if we're going to talk the talk, we better walk the walk. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you were here and showed up in a mighty way. Thank you for working at gratitude in my life. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. And as we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today, but draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples. Ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention.